0: Always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. Welcome everyone, this is Jeff Rose with Leading Education with Jeff Rose and today's podcast is going to be different for a variety of reasons. Number one, my partner in crime, we do not commit any crimes, but my partner, Jason Pace, is not here today. He is on a business trip and will be gone for a little bit and yet the podcast must go on. So we devised a different plan, one that I'm actually really looking forward to. It has to do with a Q&A model. Recently I put out on Facebook as well as Twitter if anyone had any questions to email me. We created an email box called questions at leadingedsolutions.com and asked people to send in questions and people in fact have. So our model today is going to be a Q&A model. A couple of things I want to also get out of the way, recently I've had a number of conversations with friends and family and have had comments sent to me, and there seems to be a misunderstanding specific to this podcast. This podcast is something I do for fun, it is uh, definitely not a job. <laughs> it's um, it's nothing I get paid for I am I'm not Joe Rogan in any way shape or form basically a number of uh, months ago I decided that I want to continue to talk I have this voice this strong opinion this perspective on education and leadership and I wanted to continue to talk I recently stepped down from a superintendent position here in Fulton County Georgia and i was used to talking all day long that has been part of my work as an educational leader for years and years and for that to change dramatically or shut off so to speak didn't mean that i don't have this passion and this voice and these opinions so hence the podcast so know that this is this is not my job. In fact, I've been doing a number of consultancy um, jobs recently, having a good time with that a variety of things. One company, Avid, many people have heard about Avid Advancement via indi- Individual Determination. Avid is an amazing outfit that supports well over 2 million students throughout the country located it's um, throughout the country but its main headquarters is in San Diego and I've been doing consulting with AVID which has been uh, just a pleasure um, because I, I believe in what they do and they make a dramatic difference in the lives of students and a variety of other things. And actually, I will be in the very near future talking about my new venture, which has been very exciting and something uh, I'll be thrilled to announce and explain. But in the meantime, we are going to dive into this process. Now, I'm not sitting here alone. Jason is not here, but I'm not alone. Carson Pace, who is our producer, engineer, composer, um, he's sitting here with me, like he always is, and Carson is actually the the one who uh, helps us and allows us to sound halfway decent. And I have actually learned a lot from Carson over the past number of weeks. Carson is twenty two year old young man, so he's definitely not a kid. But I will say, as one who's in my middle age, to learn from somebody who's twenty two. Um, has just been a fascinating process. And by the way, it just reminds us all that we all have something to learn from one another. And so um, I'm thrilled to have Carson. And what Carson's going to do is... He's gonna ask the questions.
1: I'm asking the questions. You yeah. haven't let me talk this entire time, Jeff. Man,
0: come on. So and I probably won't let you talk very much anyway, Carson. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Carson, you certainly weren't
1: expecting to learn from a 22-year-old. I will, I will say that that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. But
0: I mean, it's you know, uh, good educators constantly learn from their students, and you are not yeah. my student in any way, shape, or form. Um, we really, well, I really I, appreciate I was, your. Support.
1: I, I did. I was in school while. I was in your school district while you were superintendent of Fulton County Schools. So so there you go. There you go. Sort of, I was sort of your student in a way.
0: So, um, and two, so he has questions that have been submitted. And yes, what, I do. What I Carson do. will do is he'll ask me a question. And um, I know the topics, so it's not as though I'm hearing them cold.
1: Right. This yeah. will be
0: different. Yeah, I will be giving somewhat of a kind of fresh perspective. Um, as opposed to doing a tremendous amount of prep on these beforehand, but I, I will give you my opinions and the intent here is for Carson to also keep us on track in terms of time. Sure. It's, it's likely that with one particular question, I can go on for a long period of time. My, my dad teases me about having what he calls the gift of gab and I will um, intentionally try to make sure I don't go too far into detail and create a podcast based upon one particular question. We want to get to a few of them at least. So he'll now, give me a high sign.
1: Now, did you sort of want me to be your Alex Trebek over here and just kind of see, you know, you'll pick students for 400 and I'll give you one of these? Or what did you want here? Did you want them in this order?
0: Well, I let's do them in this order, uh, order order for which they've, they've come. And I'll do my best to answer you'll give me kind of the wink wink nod nod when i'm sure um you know getting long-winded i'll try to tie it and then we'll move on to the next question of course that makes yeah, sense. I'm,
1: I'm down with that right there
0: and so you know the, the content basically comes from people who have listened and we don't we don't claim or brag to have you know a significant or a huge listening yeah. base but i think we're over 3,000 downloads let's, at this particular let's, time let's not peek behind the curtain too much <laughs> okay sorry but um, you know at least people uh, are listening and that that has been good
1: and it's it's been awesome man um, I will say like I've been I've been experimenting with podcasts since I was in ninth grade like I was trying so like to, so
0: like last week
1: yeah so about four weeks ago yeah yeah <laughs> um, and like this is it's been really cool to be a part of a podcast that like has meaning' because all the other ones I've done have just been me and my friends, you know just messing around. so like it's been very cool to see the response um, and it's been very cool to like put out questions and put on an episode and see it instantly do numbers that I haven't seen any of my other uh, you know uh, projects podcast wise do so that's that's very cool. Um, and I just I just want to say a real quick thank you to everyone that's reviewed the show on Podbean or iTunes. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, that's good. very off topic. But. That's good. I
0: f- <laughs> I mean, people are clearly aware that I've paid you to say that. Um, uh huh. Yeah.
1: Let me, you me do a lot of things.
0: Let me preface one more piece here that I have read, like many of us, a lot of texts. So I've let read more leadership uh, text than I than I can count one thing that's sometimes difficult is the the challenge of leading something complex is sometimes broken down into a one two three four five step plan sure and that's that's not the way it works so that's not how I will be giving my answers in terms of well if you do one two and three then you will achieve success
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. So
0: th- I want I want people to think about this in terms of a Venn diagram. So people are aware of what a Venn diagram are. It's of you know circles that overlap one another. Each circle representing a particular opinion or perspective or theory, and often they overlap. So what I'll be doing is talking about what I think are critical aspects to think about, specific to that question. But it will not come across or does not mean to come across in a formulaic way. This is not a formula. These sure. are uh, my perspectives that people should think about aligned to the questions that we'll address one at a time.
1: All right. Okay, Jeff. let's
0: let's jump in kind of go? question You're number, ready number to go. one. I am okay.
1: Okay. Hi, Jeff, since you've been a superintendent in three distinctively different settings, what are the common qualities you've found in principals who have incredible rapport with their teachers? Parents and students. Top three.
0: Okay, so I don't know if I'll um, do exactly three. I'll maybe do less or more, but we'll see. Um, sure. What I've learned is, first off, the principal has an incredible impact in terms of the the setting, the culture, the climate, the practices in the school, and in fact. In terms of leadership, I get principal envy all the time because principals every single day impact what is happening not just in the building, but therefore in the lives of students. And you do so via relationships and you have the ability to have your fingerprints on everything. And while that is a tremendous pressure, it also is just, it's just so rewarding and I would Say anybody um, who's either been a principal or looks up to one probably is well aware of the impact that they make, and whether that is sometimes a good one or a bad one, they do make an impact. Now, um, in terms of you know common qualities that really build you know these rapport with teachers, parents, and students, there are a few things to think about. Number one, there's this, what I call a, a principal skill set Uh, list so to speak it's like a series of buckets you know years ago probably 20 30 years ago in principal school meaning you know in graduate programs and so forth principals really were trained on a lot of management techniques and strategies And management is really important but you know if just a few decades ago the principal was really focusing on knowing how to manage the building and that is important fortunately over the last couple of decades the last 20 plus years we've also added to that and really asked the principal not just to be a manager but to be an instructional leader and this is really important because we have learned that teachers parents the community will look to the principal as it relates to what are the most important practices specific to supporting students what are those systems what are those structures and really good principals who build these relationships and confidence with others are in fact instructional leaders in their building Uh, the third bucket that in my opinion isn't really taught enough but is really important is what I call being a public intellectual and that, that's my phrase, and I'll explain it. I have gone through this activity a number of times with principals, so um, principals that I've worked with, they, would, they may remember this. I sometimes ask principals to go through this process where I, I literally have them close their eyes and imagine their school. I, I walk them through this visualization exercise and ask them to think specifically about what it sounds like what it feels like, what it smells like. And by the way, yes, schools have smells. Yes, Um, they do. They certainly do. And depending upon the age uh, and the level, the the smells are different. Time of year, smells are different. But the school has a feel. And um, principals can do this, and the school can come to life very quickly in their mind's eye. And the reason is... Because principals spend an unhealthy amount of time in those schools. They often have an unhealthy work relationship with their schools because they throw themselves, the good ones, throw themselves at their job. And they're there more hours than many can imagine throughout the week. It becomes, unfortunately, their home away from home. And sometimes, like I said, it's even unhealthy the amount of times that they're there.
1: Right. but A, I, a reluctant home away from home. Yeah. Possibly.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. And, um, and they're there because they're passionate. Of and I, I ask them to imagine the school and to get it in their head. And they do so. And then I ask them to open their eyes and then I remind them of something. I say, that school, your school that you just pictured, it's not yours. It's not your school. And I need you to stop thinking about it as your school. It's our school it's mine too and it's other people's school in this particular room you don't own that place your job is actually to serve in that place but if you truly are gonna be a public intellectual you know how to look beyond the walls and windows and doors in that school your job is to look at the community the local the states, even the national politics of the time, and try to read the tea leaves and think about the impact that that rhythm outside of the school can or should have on the lives of students. Your job is to think beyond just your school. And the reason that is important is, I just find that the really good leaders are not ones who lead with their head down. They're constantly knowing when to look down, but also when to look up and out. So, number one, when people do that well, they typically are very good communicators. They know systems of communication, they keep lines of communication open, not just with staff and students, but with the community at large. Because to be great, to build that rapport, they need the trust of the community which is inclusive of within the building and out so those buckets are really important um here's a strategy that is um going to surprise people and it is probably the most important and it is you read you lead via relationships you just do it is in and will always be the cornerstone of this work in fact the number one instructional strategy of a teacher with students is or should be relationships. Well leaders the really good ones lean into relationships and know if they want to move people they need to build trust and they move them emotionally they don't necessarily move them cerebrally so ones who really really rely on relationships and then I'll say this, maybe end here, that you know the really good principals are ones who know how to create a system where they put the student in the middle of the room. Now what I mean by that is literally they know how to always bring back the discussion, the debates, the systems and structure back to The question is, is this the best thing for the student? I remember as a teacher, I learned from a principal, Glenn Gilbert was his name. And Glenn once literally took a chair and put it in the middle of the room. And he asked us during a staff meeting to circle around it. And then he re-engaged us in the very conversation that we were just having but he reminded us that what we're talking about is a student and had us visualize our favorite student, maybe even our own child, sitting in that chair. If we visualize a student sitting in that chair, let's make sure that whatever we talk about, even if it is an adult issue, we think about it in the context of having an impact in the life of a kid so i think principals that do some of the things i just described are ones who over time because it doesn't come overnight over time build this incredible rapport and trust and usually are the ones who can actually take the biggest risks and create the biggest change in their schools because they're people who people want to lead with not just follow but lead with remember the leader is the one who When they take steps forward and they look over their shoulder they have other people with them that is what leading is right and that doesn't just happen overnight it is an art but the really good ones are ones who really align to some of the things i've described just now
1: now can i ask a quick question like just around this topic Mm -hmm. with with people who you you've seen have great rapport with you know, certain students, certain teachers, and that's that kind of thing. Oh, I've, I've been a leader in a couple of different positions before, you know, I've been a manager of, you know, I, I lead a team of six people currently. And uh, is it possible to be a great leader and still tense up when trying to communicate with a certain person who maybe doesn't take communication very well?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that I didn't, you know, one thing I didn't mention is that uh, a really good leader doesn't have to be one who doesn't get nervous or isn't sometimes scared or intimidated to engage in the difficult conversation. Sure. I mean, yeah. leaders are actually um, really good ones, real people, right? And sure. so they actually know when to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah. I think the the, the leaders don't always have it together in fact mm-hmm. the ones that seem like they do may be lying yeah i just think that the the leader has this uh, internal confidence um and yet struggles through stuff whether the, those be difficult conversations with people who don't want to engage in those kind yeah. of conversations but um the leader at least has the co- is has the confidence to be able to say this is the right thing to do even if it's hard, and um, is even hard on me.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd still you'd still say that it's it's possible to have good rapport and to have good uh, a good reputation as a leader despite nervousness and.
0: Oh yeah, i uh, and every leader is different. So some leaders are these very um, confident communicators, and there are some great leaders. Who are actually fairly uh, shy and timid, mm-hmm. but it—I don't think it's a personality. Yeah. I think it—it um, it has to do often with kind of strategy and, you know, your intentions as well as your level of integrity. If you read leadership books, they're not always describing a person; it's describing what they do. Right. You yeah. know, the level five leader in good to great—they don't say is the one who's gregarious sure as the one who's always confident in the room it describes kind of a series of steps and leadership traits which doesn't necessarily equate to just all of a sudden you know always a confident communicator those things can be learned
1: Hmm. well uh jeff would you like to move on to the second question
0: question number two let's do that all right
1: man um so this was this was from someone who would like to know or who who thinks it would be awesome if you could follow up on how you feel about current testing works. Um, Also talk about how it affects students and what you wish would change. So this kind of plays into anxiety of students, performance anxiety, that type of thing. Yeah, Um, it does. We talked about it in episode uh, four.
0: I think part of it, and part of it I think also plays into a tweet that I sent out about a week ago. We could go tomorrow. I, I don't out, follow
1: you. I'm sorry. That's
0: all right. I would expect you to. I put out this uh, tweet and um, it read: it said, My heart goes out to all the students, families, and educators currently struggling through anxiety due to the ridiculous amount of testing required and consequently the loss of time and joy of learning. Accountability is a good thing and there is a better way. And I even put a hashtag, which I really do balance. And you know, it was one of those um, tweets that that catches. I think it's 700 people either liked it or made comments, so it was kind of a big one. Um, and in fact, later, I think a few days later, I put out another tweet um, tied to that one that said that my kids, I had two of them, a, a sophomore and a seventh grader. My kids have each lost approximately 16 hours of learning time and have not even yet taken the state assessment. Yours with a question mark. To be clear, I don't blame their district, schools, or teachers. This isn't just a Georgia problem. In one word, I can tell you the cause of this testing chaos in the U.S., dot, 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 politics. And so um, since then, I've just been engaged in a number of conversations as it relates to testing um, and I've seen some of the comments and so forth. So I think that's where this question comes from. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so let me let me talk a little bit about, you know, what I would describe as kind of a balanced approach to testing. Something as important as, and, and cumbersome as an assessment strategy is difficult to address in a tweet. And rarely do I put out uh, opinions that are, are negative, but um, I do have a lot of concerns as it relates to how we are assessing and using the data um, in this day and age and had for a number of years. And you know, there is some history to this. Um, you know Many people are familiar with NCLB, No Child Left Behind. Um, it was the law governing federal mandates in a variety of educational issues and practices accountability systems and so forth that was in place from 2002 to 2015 and by the way that reconstituted an earlier law that was in that was started in the mid-60s um, called esea elementary and secondary education act another this is a federal law that had a variety of areas of focus in education. Now, um, many may remember, if you don't, just trust me. Um, I think, I think in 83, I could be wrong, um, A Nation at Risk was, was written, which is an article that was pointing out the dramatic inequities in schools and academic results really aligned to demographics, issues of color, race, poverty, neighborhood, location, and so forth. And so, NCLB, no child left behind law was in fact this bipartisan effort a political process at the federal level um, and this law was created and if you just even think about you know what that stands for no child left behind you know if you think about that you would shake your head up and down Um, the dilemma is sometimes the politics of something that has pure intentions becomes very cumbersome and politicized and before you know it a good idea ends up in a law that has thousands and thousands of pages and literally that was I don't know exactly how many thousands of pages were in that law but let's say just a lot of t's to cross and i's to dot sure and it created this very cumbersome and immediate reaction to how we assess students and um, unfortunately this accountability concept which by the way as an educator i believe in i believe we should be accountable i believe that you know we should be tracking who is successful and who is not and thinking about what we're going to do about those things and as public educators we should be accountable to the results of our students i i I buy that and i take that on my shoulders in the meantime i think that the punitive process that we learned through No Child Left Behind was not effective. The concept that when schools don't do well, when districts don't do well, based upon the assessment, the high stake assessments, that there would be these negative consequences, not just in terms of how we label them, but potentially even financial consequences tied to that. It reminded me of, uh, of a scenario that would not happen which was if, if you were a track coach and you were teaching one of your athletes and coaching one of your athletes to to run faster and they were struggling would you take their shoes from them and ask them to run even faster would you start to strip them of resource and ask them to move faster would you publicly shame them in order to help them feel confident as an athlete and as a runner and i would just say part of nclb um felt like that and i wasn't the only one this was a national conversation um so you know like like anything no child left behind had some positives and had some challenges right the positives were we started to you know really shine a light on what we should be accountable for which is the success or lack thereof of our students in the meantime i think it had some um cumbersome practices that really took the pendulum of assessing students and, and pushed it too far to one side.
1: And is that what you would consider to be the biggest uh, the biggest contributor to what testing and assessment is now? or are there are there other elements that went into that?
0: Lots well, that that is a ma- that is a major one. Um, in fact, if the recently after 2015, there was another bipartisan effort to reconstitute NCLB. Um, uh, and that was called um, the ESSA Plan, Every Student Succeeds Act. And so that is in place now. And the goal there was to try to narrow the role of the federal government and create more flexibility for states to um, start to modify and change some of their assessment systems. Sure. Yeah. However, um, in my opinion it didn't go far enough right it's still extremely tight and states now are having a hard time knowing how to react and push on and knowing how far they can push on some of the federal mandates so we still are at this place where we're asked to assess students all students align to the standards in a very you know formulaic but standardized fashion and then how we use that data to assess our schools is still aligned with some federal mandates the good news is we're starting to see some big uh, excuse me some bold states push on that a little bit and take more risks than they have in the past which is a shift from NCLB no child left behind which is um, a, a really really good thing but here's what I would say this is I'm going to describe what Um, is in my opinion a a balanced assessment model and i'm just going to do this briefly Uh, if i had a classroom of assessment gurus and policy walks their hands would be in the air and they would want time because they would say i'm moving through this way too fast which i am right i'm just trying to get out an answer but uh, a balanced assessment um, system or approach Um, considers a few things number one it's what I call the the most important triangle we have to pay attention to assessment as it relates to providing data aligned to the learning or lack thereof of the students is most valuable when it's understood and owned by three entities one the teacher the teacher really needs to understand and own and be able to communicate this data the student So the teacher and the student, the student should be aware of how they are doing specific to the expectation and the parent. That is the most important relationship as it relates to the use of data, assessment data. Anything else is important but not as important. So that's first and foremost. A lot of educators are well aware of the difference between kinds or types of assessments so formative assessment is an assessment that is given in order to um, derive data or information that can help in the learning process so often those assessments are done in an ongoing manner they aren't necessarily done at the end of the end of the year the end of the semester those sure. would be considered summative right something that summarizes how you're doing so these standardized assessments that our kids are moving through those really they're not formative those are summative have they learned enough aligned to the standards sure and that's the summative of a test so um know this While I do believe the formative assessment that is owned by the teacher and the student and the parent is the most important, I also believe that summative and even standardized tests are good things. But once again, it has to do with a balanced approach. My questions would always be when it comes to issues of summative assessments, well, first of all, formative assessments, The best formative assessments are the ones that are created by teachers. It's when teachers say, this is what I need to know as it relates to what my kids know. Let me create an assessment, which often doesn't have to be complicated, that allows me to get information to know what I can do to further support students as a group as well as individually. And when teachers do that in teams, so they can talk apples to apples as it relates to instructional practices. That's where formative assessments really start to sing. So I do believe form assessments are best when teachers are the creators and the owners of the assessments and the data. But there's also some formative assessment systems. Um, I won't go into detail, but there are a variety that, um, that are off the shelf, so to speak. Uh, that are aligned to standards that can be used and create efficiencies. Now, summative assessments, um, standardized, aren't bad. And uh, I don't even have a problem when they're nationally normed. But here are my questions that that I think should be asked relative to that test. Um, What is the data used for? So when they bring data, when we get data from them, what are they used for? Sure. Should they be used to create accountability in our schools? Yes. Um, But, to the degree that it creates fear and anxiety that is then passed down to students? Absolutely not. Then I think there's a problem. Yeah. So that's one question I would ask about any standardized or nationally normed assessment. Here's the other one. How much time do they take? An assessment that is aligned to even your state standards or some federal standards if you are a state or a district that, you know, believe that common core was important. If they take weeks of instruction time away from the year, I would say that we've gone too far. And I do believe many times they do. In fact, sometimes entire schools have to shut down. And this isn't just in one state, this isn't many of them. Entire schools have to shut down in order to allow certain grade levels or certain courses to be able to take those standardized tests and So other students are now not learning at the same rate and pace because they have to wait for those assessments To be complete because of the resources it takes. So, you know, how much time does it take and then the data? How much time do we have to wait for the data? so there are some national kind of standardized, nationally-normed assessments, whether the MAPS assessment, um, Iowa assessment of basic skills, where they're nationally-normed, students can take them in a relatively short period of time, and then within a matter of weeks, you have the information and the data. And you know how your child stacks up against not just district and peers, but even a nationally related to some really important academic skill sets. By the way, that's useful information in my opinion. It's useful yeah. because it comes back. When we have assessment systems that takes literally months to be able to provide the data back, we're actually not getting data back until the following year. And by the way, the students have already moved on. They're no longer in that classroom. They're right, no yeah. longer in that grade. It's actually post-mortem data, right? In a students way, yeah. Have,
1: they're, they're completely different kids then. They're that
0: different point. kids. So yeah. therefore, even that test can't give information back to the three entities that are most important the student the teacher and the parent in order to even look at some hard truths and think about what you do about them which is what a test should do so i think that there is a balanced approach i know there is a balanced approach and i think we are far from it and by the way our country is rare so the united states tests at a very different level in comparison to many of the really impressive countries throughout the U.S., and I'm not right, going to get yeah. into that discussion of comparing United yeah, that's States a whole whole other into, discussion. That yeah. it takes it takes many many hours, but we are at a very very difficult and tricky place. It relates to the time and emphasis we're putting into testing, and I think it's a shame. Um, and I think we need to continue to push on it. So right on, man.
1: Well, Jeff. Um, we haven't done a 50-minute episode of this podcast yet, and I certainly don't want to start today. Uh, but we do have some more questions, so I was hoping that maybe if if the audience would be so kind as to wait till next week for us to answer a few more, we could we could uh, call this one. And, uh, yeah. So this
0: everyone. is and this was one thing we were fearful of. Okay. So thank yes. you. Uh, yeah. you're, you're watching the time. So um, we have brought forth a couple of questions, and um, but we have more. So yes, when do. I say to, uh, I'm I'm agreeing with you, um, and in this case you're definitely <laughs> the boss. So let's do that. Let's try sure. to kind of think about this as a two-part uh, podcast, and you know we started this Q and A. Let's put a pause on this. Yeah. And then the very next episode that we record, let's do part two and kind of pick up where we're yeah, make Absolutely.
1: I'd love to. Yeah. All
0: right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we want to say thank you for listening. Yes. Hopefully thank you so this much. is uh, interesting and intriguing. I appreciate you, Carson. And, um, and we will be back with episode two of our Q&A model. Take care. to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next
1: week.